0: hello everybody welcome back to the precision unloaded podcast uh tonight mark is busy lambing and carving um but we are very lucky to have a special guest all the way from canada we have matt from the womfat instagram and youtube channel hello matt
1: hey how's it going
0: not bad thank you for coming on we're we've had to sort of juggle um times to make our uh uh, when you're awake and i'm awake available obviously there's a 16 hour (laughs) time difference between um Uh, where you are in canada and and new zealand so we've managed to make that work um uh again thanks for coming on i'm I'm pretty excited to have you on here i've been watching your stuff for a few years uh so for those who aren't familiar with uh with matt um uh he's essentially um documented his journey through uh precision style rimfire shooting over the last um few years on youtube so he's got a a, quite a successful youtube channel Uh, well, as much as you can call a, a firearms youtube channels so yeah cool. <laughs> um and then he also has a, a, a great uh, instagram and it's sort of he's documented like what uh, showed me what he what he's up to was he started a series on him sort of preparing for his first match his gear and and this and that and, and the um you know support gear rifle scope etc and then it's gone through as he sort of started and then got very good over several years and now he's I'd say from looking outside looking at one of the, uh, the top rimfire competitors in Canada so um, that's that's what he's up to I'll link his stuff somewhere uh, so if the, the people <laughs> who are listening want to have a look but yeah but anyway welcome on to the show yeah and um, thank you we'll uh, we've got a, um, a bunch of cool stuff to talk about tonight so yeah so so Matt we might as well kick right into it like there's nothing worse than a podcast that talks for 40 minutes before they actually get to, <laughs> to what it's about i
1: i agree yep. yeah
0: so what got you started in
1: precision rimfire shooting uh well I, i'd have to say i really didn't have an idea of what i was getting into because originally i got my firearms license with a buddy and we planned to potentially uh, go hunt you know get our hunting license and do all that and then that guy went on and had kids so i never saw him again <laughs> and uh yeah i was thinking about taking a, some sort of shooting discipline more seriously and i thought about um you know some handgun disciplines like IPSC or idpa and i quickly realized that was just way too expensive and time consuming um, especially to keep your skills sharp in those disciplines uh, and then of course like a lot of people i probably watch a little bit too much youtube and i found prs i thought that was the coolest thing ever you know all these guys shooting these really cool looking precision rifles off barricades and it's a little bit more of a dynamic discipline than like f-class or bench rest which nothing wrong with that but you know, i just wanted something with a little bit more movement uh but then i found out and again pretty quickly there's there's not really any close center fire prs matches in my part of the country just given the um the venues that are available here, most of them end at around 300 yards or so. Um, So (laughs) I found uh, Rimfire PRS, basically the same thing, just you need less distance to do it. So I hopped into that, you know, late 2019, I really started to discover all these little YouTube channels doing NRL 22. I thought that was such a cool little um, discipline with rimfires and whatnot. So I was building up my own rifle. And then uh, my first match was actually earlier than i had planned it to be because i i built up this rifle and i just brought it out to the range (laughs) and i ran into the match director of the uh the rimfire matches at my club and he saw my rifle and he was like hey that that looks like a pretty good rig to shoot uh you know these rimfire matches with and i was like oh yeah i was thinking about it but maybe in the summer you know this was in december when i ran into him and he's like no We're having one next week. You should just come out to it. So I came out first week of January and had a blast. I I think my score was pretty abysmal, but it it definitely got me hooked. And uh, that's basically how I got started. Yeah. Wow.
0: January, that would have been quite cold in Canada.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was uh, the heart of winter, you know, you're wearing all this uh, like Michelin man clothing, Yeah, you're basically, you know, five layers deep <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, it was quite the batch to get started in, but uh, I also made a decision at that time, again, watching all these YouTube videos, I really wanted to document starting from the very beginning, you know, complete novice, never really shot anything with uh, with a scope that you had to, you know, dial on or anything so i wanted to do that because all these channels i was watching were already quite accomplished shooters that were very skilled and i wanted to just show like the sort of a raw unedited version of a complete novice getting into the sport so that's how the whole youtube thing started wow that's yeah uh, that's pretty awesome so you got you sort of kicked
0: off right around when the world went a bit mad and shut itself down too that would have been a
1: Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Actually, it's funny you mentioned that when uh, when all the shutdowns are starting, you know, around March 2020. uh, It was beneficial for the shooting side of stuff because it gave me a lot more time for, well, first off, video editing. And uh, not that my videos back then were particularly (laughs) intricate or anything, um, but that does take time. And I was getting used to video editing at the time. And then all the other sports that I usually do were canceled, you know, anything indoors or in groups of people or played on teams. So, you know, when the ranges were open, you just had to use every other bench and you could still shoot. So that was uh, kind of beneficial for the shooting side of stuff.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cause it was, <laughs> yeah, we, we managed to sort of, uh, we weren't too bad. We, yeah, we didn't lose too much, um, match time over that period due to various reasons, but, um, anyway at least you had time uh, at home to um, watch youtube
1: yeah exactly our our first or sorry my first two seasons like 2020 and 2021 were very slimmed down because of all the shutdowns and you know um, a lot of events getting canceled and postponed and stuff like that yeah yeah
0: yeah so speaking of different events now uh following all the stuff you guys do in canada and i also listen to there's a Rimfire podcast, uh some of the match directors do, is that correct? Um in Canada? Um Rimfire
1: Nation or something. Like oh yes. Yep. yep. Yep, Rimfire but, Nation, that's it.
0: But anyway, so for those of us from the outside looking in into the can- Canadian Rimfire scene, you guys have got several different series, which now include the US ones, I, I believe. Um yep. you've all they're all sort of um you got O R P S, you've got Maple Leaf, which is that a training training thing? So yes. So there's a bunch of different series going on. Uh, yeah, area. it can
1: uh, it can definitely be quite confusing. Yes. <laughs> I get I got a lot of messages, people asking me what, you know, what the heck belongs to what. Um, so I'll break it down as simple as I can. The Canadian series, which is nationwide with our own Canadian leaderboard is CRPS and Canadian that stands for Canadian Rimfire Precision Series. And that was sort of what really started the, you know, PRS 22 scene in Canada. Um, but that's only in Canada. And then you have the clubs that are affiliated with the PRS, which is primarily in the States, I guess. And um, you'll have specific clubs which matches count towards PRS points. Mm -hmm. And that is separate from the aforementioned CRPS. So CRPS is its own thing, but it's basically a mimic of PRS rules. Uh, But those matches don't count towards PRS points. So we have other series um, basically clubs that have registered under PRS to be a club in Canada and you can gain points without traveling to the states Mm -hmm. in order to qualify for things like regionals or nationals which are held in the U.S. yep and then um, the maple seed you mentioned that's not really PRS specific it's just a general um, marksmanship program for Uh, any shooter yeah but it's it's a great it's a great full day course to just work on your fundamentals. Yep. And then is there an Outlaw series, I believe? ORPS? Yes. Um, so ORPS, Outlaw Rimfire Precision Series, is under the umbrella of the CRPS, the Canadian series. And that's basically uh, the baby brother to the longer distance message uh, so it's it's essentially nrl 22 like out to 100 yards oh, and very yep. very beginner friendly it's um it's only 100 yards so that most ranges can host one if it's a smaller range with max 100 yards they can do an orps because the crps needs a little bit longer distances than that
0: okay so CRP, crps canadian room precision series goes out to
1: 200 300 yards kind of thing yes exactly and then the orps is a standardized like nrl 22 it's a standardized monthly course of fire that is nationwide and all the different clubs will shoot it so it's basically basically crps was trying to mimic what the prs and nrl was doing under Mm -hmm. one umbrella for the canadian market okay
0: yep and do, do you have nrl 22 in canada
1: so we apparently there are a few NRL22 clubs out west, so in, in BC yep. uh, but really none in Ontario. However, I know of, I believe two clubs now in Ontario that are doing NRL22 but only as of this year, so it's quite new, and I think with the borders you know opening back up after the whole you know pandemic situation, a lot of shooters are crossing to shoot the NRL22 championships and whatnot, so there's a little bit more of interest there mm yeah
0: yeah they've got and we don't we don't have any of it here in australia they now have nrl 22 and they will have i believe next year prs 22 as cool. they sort of go along and then yeah same thing send guys to the u.s for the finals and such yeah um, yeah
1: i know there's a group of uh aussies that went to the nrl 22 champs last month mm,
0: yeah so that was pretty neat i just did an interview with one of them a couple of days ago so i'll post that um very soon as well. Oh, um, cool. Okay. Yeah. Very. Oh, I'd talk about some other stuff too, but uh, I'd um, yeah. We we don't have any um of the international series here in New Zealand. Um, I, I think a, a, a like a grassroots NRL Twenty Two style or O R style is, would be good here, but it's just getting mm-hmm. the different shooting clubs. A lot of them are like sort of hunting style shooting clubs, and so to, to get those oh, kind of events would be um i imagine similar issues ahead had elsewhere trying to convince people that shooting over top of <laughs> yes. letters and stuff is, is um yeah is something yeah different. there's definitely
1: been a lot of uh discussions with with gun clubs here as well uh, a lot of the you know sort of like old boys clubs uh type gun clubs are really not open to the idea of shooting positional off props so, so that was definitely something we had to um To figure out as well but as it gains in popularity we have more and more clubs being open to the idea yeah well
0: again i'm i don't know about canada but in new zealand a lot of the traditional shooting sports are struggling for um getting younger members um right so a lot of this stuff if their rangers can handle it and their, their whatever rules they have um is a good way to bring in um young people into to the clubs and keep clubs alive but that's another Whole, whole another issue <laughs> yes um, yeah. yeah yeah exactly <laughs> but it, it sounds like so watching what you do there's enough between um where you are in canada or within a day's drive anyway and the top of the u.s to keep you pretty well busy
1: with matches so that's awesome oh yeah for sure i would say between all the different series, I have more than enough on my on my calendar. I think my wife would appreciate it if I was a little bit more selective on the events I chose to, <laughs> to go shoot. But I will say, especially where I am, I'm in Ottawa, which is kind of the southern part of Ontario. Um, close enough to the border anyway, to the U.S. border, where within eight hours, we have probably half a dozen U.S. Clubs to choose from, mm-hmm. so yeah, you can re- fill the calendar very easily with just PRS matches. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. If you, if you're wanting to,
0: I, I guess to a certain extent, I'm going out to practice. But I mean, you could just compete in a match, which is um, you got to you got to pick up skill real quick. Like we we might average a, a one once a month match kind of mm-hmm. thing. So it's yeah, um,
1: yeah, that's awesome, man. Um, yeah, so yeah, and. I'm lucky because with the P.R.S. clubs in Canada and the C.R.P.S., we basically have two Canadian matches a month during, you know, the the spring and summer time. <laughs> yeah, no, that's I'm, I'm I'm a bit jealous of that. Um, but but any,
0: anyhow, uh, so you mentioned earlier you started filming the matches to sort um, of document a, a beginner to gaining some experience and stuff. Can it be distracting setting up the cameras, etc. Uh, especially if you don't have um, someone helping with filming? Because you, obviously you're also getting prepared to, you know, you're doing your dope for the stage, you're making up a stage plan, you're doing gear checks. So is, can yeah. it be a struggle?
1: That's, that's a great question because I feel like a lot of people don't understand how much of a struggle it is, Graham. <laughs> because yeah. there are some matches I, I either give up filming halfway through or... It definitely hinders my performance. And towards the beginning of the whole YouTube thing, I I wanted to stop several times. And um, well, you got to think, like you mentioned, you have your head in the one aspect of trying to compete at the best level you can. But at the same time, you're trying to get the right shot and you want to make sure that you have certain things on video. For example, when I show up to a match, I'm basically the first person to arrive at any given match because I can't be rushed in the morning setting up all my camera equipment and my rifle. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when, when I was thinking of how am I going to go forward trying to document all these videos and sort of the, the quality that I wanted to be in, that's where... Uh, My amazing wife came into the picture because she was uh, surprisingly very open to just coming along at first and just helping me film because She enjoys that aspect of it quite a bit. So for a long time uh, She wasn't really shooting the matches, but she would come and help me with the video aspect of it So that gave me a big burden off my shoulders to just concentrate on the match and then have her run the cameras You'll notice more recently though uh, in the past two years, she's started to shoot a lot of the matches with me, yep. which means it's still a little bit easier because we can share the burden of all the camera stuff, but she's definitely still more in charge of the camera stuff yep. than I am. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's a big distraction. I mean, if anyone ever wants to see how distracting it is, just, I mean, with your phone, go ahead and try and document your day at a match and you'll quickly realize <laughs> it is not easy to try and give a comprehensive overview of the entire day while also participating in the in the competition do you sometimes have to make the decision of uh
0: like say a, re- a major match where you're you're trying to say a series final or something you, and you need to get your performance needs to be on point do you, do you ever make the decision like and say your wife's not there or something no no i'm not
1: going to film i'm just going to 100 percent focus on the match so yeah, the, and it's funny because the big matches, like the regional finales and the nationals and stuff, those are the matches I want to concentrate on the most. But on the flip side, they're the matches I want to share the most as well. Yeah. You know, because those are the cool matches that are, are big. You know, and have more on the line. So, um, but to answer your question, luckily my wife has been to all the big matches with me, and uh, this year she will be shooting them. But previously she was not shooting them, so it was easy because she could be completely focused on the camera work uh but we've actually had a discussion for this year because she will be shooting them how we're going to be doing it and i think it will be a much uh slimmed down video in terms of sharing the day because again as you mentioned like i think first and foremost i am a competitor and i want to do as well as i can Uh, but i i do enjoy the youtube side of stuff and sharing you know all these experiences it's definitely something i enjoy it's not it's not just something i'm doing for the sake of it it is another aspect of the sport that i also enjoy doing but finding the balance in that is is quite tough and at times i have been running the trigger cam which is you know the camera that lets me film through my scope and that can be distracting so i've i've ditched it halfway through a match before
0: yeah 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 i'll i'll, I'll play with it a little bit. it um it takes some getting used to cuz it's obviously in your face yes. more right and not, yeah. a, not a huge deal on rimfire compared to say a, a high recording centerfire, but um it's still something you've got to be conscious of so well yeah. while we i mean so your wife started competing so she did she come along to film and then decided to compete after that or, or was she um
1: comp- yeah so <laughs> she originally came to film and then I, I kept bothering her i was like you know what you're already here might as well just get you a little rifle and you can you can have at it as well and when you know it's always fun hitting steel you know (laughs) the little ping it's addicting i guess and she's like man like i kind of want to maybe practice a little bit and see if i can get a little bit better so we built up a specific little uh, cz457 for her and as she was getting better and better i i thought you know i think you're actually enjoying this now you're not just doing it because you're here Mm -hmm. and so she took it away and did a few dry fire sessions with me and whatnot so she is a very good shooter in her own right now and a lot of the times when we're filming at a match the camera will be on a tripod so we don't have to worry about uh, who's holding it or whatever yeah
0: i guess if the stage is uh say three four positions on a a prop or some barrels um Mm -hmm. it's not that bad right but if it's moving between uh yeah uh, i know some stages you've had to run up a hill and then sit up on top of a a yeah or something. so yeah i guess it's that uh, it depends on the thing so she's shooting production correct
1: yep uh she is shooting production i just thought honestly i don't put a huge priority on the divisions myself like when i first started this i i started an open but i thought especially since she was even more novice than i was because she didn't even have a, a firearms license at the time um she was just using my rifles so i thought it was a better division for her to compare her scores to because here in can i don't know if it's the same where you are but here in canada generally speaking um newer shooters will be in production and then as they develop in the sport almost everyone jumps up into open so i just figured it'd be better for her to compare her scores and whatnot
0: yeah no that's that's a fair point so we have um in our series we have rifleman which is open essentially and then we have hunter which has um got a uh it's it's actually it's far more restrictive in gear than than um production but um I see but but anyway that's that's not top of it today um but yeah I I think it's a good idea for um like you say you can can compare your points rather than going up against all these guys who have been doing it for a long time and uh, guys and girls and um yeah so so she's um I've noticed in a few she's actually done quite well in production
1: yeah, she's done really well this year. I, I'm actually quite proud of uh, some of her finishes. shes uh, I'll tell you, one really cool match was a, it must have been over 50 shooters or close to 50 shooters. She actually finished, and this isn't a club level match. This is one of the CRPS matches. She finished third overall, one ladies and one uh, top production. So she brought home three medals that day, that's... which was pretty awesome. Wow, that's awesome, man.
0: So she's, yeah, so she's a
1: very good shooter
0: yeah that's cool um yeah well you should be proud that's that's a big achievement yeah, yeah especially not just yeah not just top lady and top production but taking a podium and the overall scores that's a it's a huge achievement
1: I, I will say this too not <laughs> i i've helped in my um in my volunteer work with the crps they put on a lot of clinics for new shooters looking to get into this discipline so i've helped quite a few new shooters with their basics in you know prs fundamentals and generally speaking the the ladies that come through the clinics will get more out of it because they're more willing to listen <laughs> to yeah. your feedback yeah. and actually implement it and i don't know if it's a biological thing or whatever but they're very steady on the rifle so it's yeah. it's really cool to see um a lot of ladies coming out to these matches and and doing very well yeah no, no ego involved that's why i reckon yeah exactly <laughs> yeah exactly
0: yeah um I, <laughs> a lot of people could do with just um males just yeah just going hey this guy knows what he's talking about mate like when it you know yeah um, anyway that's yeah so (laughs) there's videos of it but what was the first rimfire setup you put together for competition use
1: well, again, as I mentioned, I was watching way too much YouTube, so I, I kind of was already deep in the rabbit hole before I shot my first match. I bought a 457 MTR, so that's the one with the match chamber, yep. and I dropped it in an MDT ACC, and this was at the end of 2019, so the ACC was like a pretty brand-new chassis at the time, and they had just come out with the rim Rimfire Inlet, and I I'm pretty sure I was like the first guy on the firing line here on Ontario to have a rimfire ACC so I remember when I showed up to the match I almost felt I felt even more nervous because like I have this super sweet setup and I don't know what I'm doing Uh, you know so but on the top of of that rifle I just had a basic vortex diamondback tactical because I think like a lot of new shooters in this discipline they put a lot of emphasis on the rifle and they don't really think about the glass it's sort of like a an afterthought i wouldn't even recommend the diamondback tactical these days to a new shooter getting into the sport
0: yeah that was that the original
1: one with no zero stop yes yeah, yeah. and yeah. and the the turrets was like six mils per rev very confusing to use yeah yeah uh, i had one and i i think
0: i gave it away for free like <laughs> yeah it, exactly it, it worked fine but i just the no zero stop to me it was just like this major yeah like if yeah. if you're coming in to compete in your first comp and that's what you've got heck yeah it'll work but if if you're buying one now, there's a better options for the same money, essentially. So exactly, yeah. I would
1: say if you have any inclination of trying a match that's beyond a hundred yards, you have to step up like in the Vortex line to the Venom now. Yeah, because of yeah. the zero stop, and you know the turrets are better.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember when zero stop was a feature on scopes, right? Like, well, wow, <laughs> yeah, that, I know that one's got a zero stop. Everyone's like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah now
1: it's now it's a necessity you can't shoot a match without one
0: yeah like if you if you release the scope now without a zero stop like you oh this yeah it's just pointless but um uh, so, <laughs> so 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 you, so you you went into it with a very capable uh setup essentially though the 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 cz's are fantastic um yes the the like actually to be honest the um the the, the new zealand importer sponsors our um, rimfire series they provide a cz457 for um sort of new people who are getting into it we provide a rifle and ammo and to several sponsors um so excellent setup um to be honest in my opinion not just because i sponsor a series if you are getting into it and you don't want to buy a remington 700 pattern which i don't think you should have to even though
1: me and you both use them um the cz is my pick for um oh for sure i i 100 agree with that i i recommend the cz all the time to people asking me what rifle they should start with, or even even if they're just coming from their hunting rifle and they're asking what to upgrade to, I often recommend the 457 Yeah, agreed. I
0: the, I like the Tika's too, but the tika magazines wear out quickly, so that's my issue with the Tika's. Yeah, um, and and here they're harder to find as well. Oh, I tell you what, Tika's in New Zealand you can't you can't swing your hat without hitting a tika. They are everywhere. Like oh, are they okay? Well, just that as a a hunting rifle a centerfire hunting rifle, they they were without a doubt the most popular hunting rifle so everybody oh, knows tiki here yeah um i see uh, uh, but you know, so you went in with a really the rifle was good to go um but now fast forward a couple years i i, I know occasionally you'll bring out a cz but what's your current <laughs> setup or, or setups because i know you have a couple uh yeah. that you use and is it series dependent uh yeah does some series
1: suit like a, a heavier versus a lighter setup so, so what are you using at the moment so yeah, the the development to what I am currently using is astonishing because again, as you mentioned, that 457 in the ACC was pretty sweet and it still is a very capable rifle. At the time, you know, 2020, there there wasn't all, there was basically no such thing as a custom rimfire build. Like people didn't even think that was gonna be a, be a thing. So now fast forward three, four years, every, <laughs> I shouldn't say everyone, a lot of people who are taking this sport very seriously have custom built rimfires that are built from the ground up for this style of competition. So I have a custom Voodoo 360 that's built by Kenny over at Desert Precision Gunworks. It has a 25 inch barrel on it that is a heavy like MTU profile. Uh, you know, if you showed this to someone a couple of years ago and said, "Hey, this is a rimfire rifle," they might not even believe you. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And uh, you know, on the top of that, I have a uh, a Razer Gen Three, and it's in a KRG C Four. Well, right now it's in an MDTACC, but it kind of flip flops between different chassis, and that's a, a, a sort of feature of going to a Rem Seven Hundred footprint. You know, you can put any trigger you want in it. I have the uh, the TriggerTech Diamond, mm-hmm. and it's just a phenomenal rifle. Now, is it is it necessary to compete in? Absolutely not. <laughs> it's definitely not. Um, but as I mentioned, it was built with the sole purpose of being a very capable PRS twenty two rifle. And and to answer your second question of if it if it sort of suits one series more than the other, it definitely does because in the configuration when it's in the KRG C4 chassis it weighs 24 and a half pounds and that is not <laughs> not designed whatsoever for any type of unsupported offhand shooting yeah uh, which uh, you know some of the the smaller club level matches will often have unsupported shooting as well as their props are a little bit more wobbly and lower to the ground so this a CZ 457 setup is actually better suited towards those club level matches than the larger like prs series matches but again i designed or i spec'd out the voodoo to be a prs rifle yeah with that with that uh 25 inch NTU barrel
0: uh, (laughs) i'm assuming it's all about balance the big long heavy barrel
1: yes it's it's all about balance and there were some i guess like anecdotal information or i don't even call it information anecdotal Opinions about longer barrels, uh, perhaps helping the performance of the factory ammo. Mm-hmm. In all honesty, I, I don't know. I can say that is true from what I've seen with my longer barrel, but it helps the balance very well. And when it's that heavy and balanced really nicely on a prop, once you get it on target, it kind of just stays there. So it's it's it, it drives itself onto target. If that makes any sense. Yeah. No. A... Oh, it's, it's hey don't be wrong
0: in situations like a really prop heavy match like say a prs match um that really heavy well-balanced rifle on on a good bag is just going to sit there and um yeah you're not going to be trying to manipulate and um, get it on target as hard as
1: i'll I'll tell you what though occasionally i'll bring out the 457 and i'll be like man this i really miss having a rifle i can just pick up with one hand (laughs) (laughs) you know and and just move freely and quickly with it without any without any stress it's so, quite nice
0: so you're speaking of weights your your uh wife's 457 i'm assuming that's uh significantly lighter oh yeah it,
1: the, <laughs> her rifle is uh, i want to say just just over 10 pounds maybe yep. maybe even a little bit less because there's no weights in it it's just the 457 pro varmint which is in a wood stock mm-hmm. and uh the ep5 scope on top of it so it's really not heavy at all and it can't be because my wife uh, i don't know if it comes across on video but she is very small she's a very small human being yes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, she can't like if i if i hand her my rifle she can only hold it for about you know 10 seconds before she has to put it down anyway so it'd be not only unreasonable for her to try and use something like that but you know there's the safety aspect of it all too you have to have a rifle that you can safely handle yes. so we yep. we made sure that her rifle was uh Light enough where she could shoot comfortably, but you know, uh, heavy enough where the trigger pull wasn't going to move it, like you know, a, a three-pound rifle or something like that. Yeah, that this was with um, oh, to,
0: my wife normally just, um, if, which can compete, um, will use uh, whatever I've got floating around, but with just got her a 457 but the real basic it's like the basic basic one and like a plastic stock with a really oh the uh, yeah the
1: synthetic i think
0: yeah like they're, they're about a, uh, a thousand kiwi uh, yeah, how much? yeah i think our dollars are similar um
1: actually that's that's the rifle my wife started so i got her a rifle back in 2020 and that was the one i bought her was the synthetic as well yeah it's it, well it's just to be honest the, the stock in them
0: flexes more than i'd like you can easily yes. load the bipod and touch the barrel um yeah. but other than that um you can always um get a different stock going down the, the road and um it's also very lightweight for her she doesn't want a heavy rifle um uh, so ex- yeah but anyway um semi-automatics so politics aside you can still use semi-automatic fire, same as us uh do you have a magazine capacity limit 10 rounds Oh,
1: our laws are so convoluted, so essentially rim fires <laughs> rim fires here don't technically have a magazine capacity, but there's a caveat if that magazine can fit into a what's deemed a handgun or pistol, then it has a ten round capacity so for example the ten twenty twos we used to have whatever like drum mags for those or you know the the long mm-hmm. stick mags yeah but then Ruger came out with a ten twenty two pistol and then they banned all the ten twenty two mags up to ten rounds. So it's it's quite convoluted, but you can have technically more than ten round mags if it's not a pistol magazine right. as well. <laughs> so
0: so so te- for ten twenty twos it's ten round mags. Yeah. So yeah. Um are they used much in competition? Uh like in the various um disciplines <laughs> that you have in precision room fire,
1: or is it mostly bolt actions in the club level matches, like the ORPs or NRL Twenty Two, we do see a few semi autos, and I'll say the guys bring out semi autos are generally um, just starting or just trying it out with what they have. It's very rare to see a serious competitor bring out a semi auto, and I don't, I don't exactly know the reason for that because out to hundred yards, they seem to hold their own with the bolt guns. Uh, but in the big format matches like the prs series and the crps uh larger matches it's very rare to see one or two on the line and in the states i don't think i've seen anyone use a semi-auto
0: yeah i don't think l- looking at the the competition in the states i don't see much an advantage from the semi um yeah so we we have um we in our series we style several of the events to they're not you can't not do it with a bulk gun but it is advantageous on, on a bunch of stages the semi-automatic capability okay
1: well because we yeah, might we, have, so yeah. we we have a series again under the crps umbrella that was called x22 which was also designed around the semi 1022 platform but it's not really pure style um and the what you mentioned before uh is I think you use the word advantage. Does it give you any advantage? And in the PRS discipline, I would say no, because it's very heavily designed around bolt guns. And if you're thinking of, you know, building or getting a rifle that is tuned towards PRS, I would say semis don't fit the bill. So that's probably why we just don't see many of them. Mm, yep, we we have um
0: in the events that are sort of styled towards that. We'll, we might have a couple uh, unlimited ammo stages. So guys might go through like 60
1: rounds trying to hit us. <laughs> <Like, laughs> yeah. yeah, I was listening to a recent um, recent episode with you and Mark talking about these unlimited round stages and we don't have many of those here at all. We've, we've had a couple and definitely you can tell when a guy with a semi-auto is shooting it because it's just like, it's just mayhem just yeah. round after round. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's,
0: it's, it's, it can be difficult to write into a match so it works well. But it can be done. Yeah. But it's um it's definitely fun too, and it gives those guys. Uh, we'll we'll have guys who've come over from like pistol club style sports, and um, that they might be learning still quite a lot with the precision side of things. But if you give them like a faster pace stage,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, with, with a lot of rounds, they they can excel in it. So it's sort of something <laughs> we try and play with, yeah. <laughs> That's
1: cool. Yeah, no, that's a great idea.
0: So you have I've seen a few semis on your channel over the years. You you put together like a a gray birch style 1022.
1: Yeah. So it's funny now that you're bringing up all these past experiences, I've forgotten about. That was another one of the rifles that I tried to get my wife to use was a semi-auto because I thought it'd be more, uh, I guess, novice-friendly. There's less to to do between each shot. Obviously, you don't have to cycle a bolt, but it actually it, it kind of went opposite to what I was expecting because she didn't like it. Um, She found remembering to put it on safe was awkward. You know, especially on a ten twenty two, you got to reach around with Mm -hmm. your strong side. And then you you have to remember to call safe. The the actual clearing of the rifle after the stage can be a little bit finicky with, you know, the the bolt stop and everything. And and she just didn't enjoy it as much, which I wasn't expecting. And I, I will say after watching... Quite a few new shooters get in the sport as well. I think it's just more suited to bolt guns in general. Uh, the semi-autos, I don't think they're quite as... They're inherently more, uh, I guess, inconsistent than a mm-hmm. bolt gun, of course, right? Like yeah. all the stuff moving and, and you think about the pressures. So I think out to 100 yards, it can, it can hold up to a bolt gun, but past 150, 200, it definitely starts to fall apart from yeah. what I've seen. Yeah. 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 yeah
0: i also i was playing with um i've been putting together one for more pre- a more precise one essentially uh, with some fancier parts but i find if i was noticing if i really have to like my 10th round if i push it in too hard i can dent the round under it without realizing mm. you know is it, if you don't put yeah if you're just being a bit rough and i was like hey I, yeah. have i been denting that ninth round by pushing the rim into the side of the case ball and i was like oh it's something i'm gonna have to um pay attention to that's not an issue on uh, the bolt guns right because you sort of yeah it's it's a it's a anyway it's something to think about um so you travel to the u.s so where you are um in uh, canada you're you're right above the um uh, top of the u.s there you do it on a semi-regular basis is it um is it hard to get your not too much work getting your rifle across the border
1: it's uh, it's quite easy once you have the paperwork in order. So there's a form. It's an American ATF form that you have to get filled out. You send it to them for approval and everything. And once you have that form approved, it's good for a year. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's actually quite easy because you'll have on the form, you'll have the list of rifles and ammunition you're approved for. So my Form 6 has all my both center fire and rimfire rifles that I would ever compete with, as well as my wife's rifle and any type of ammo that I would ever use. So there's like, I think there's half a dozen different ammo types listed on it just in case, you know, I have to change ammo for one case or another. Uh, But once I have that form, it's good for 12 months. And every time I cross the border, show them the form, I would say it's like a 50, 50 split if I get pulled into secondary customs for an Mm -hmm. inspection. Yep. And and then it's just, uh, I mean, yeah, you also have to be very careful what state you're driving into. I'm just North of New York. And New York State has some stricter gun laws than Canada. Yep. <laughs> so we have to be careful, um, especially for magazine capacity. We have to make sure we don't have extensions on our mags and stuff like that. Whereas if you're driving into Pennsylvania, which you can do if you're closer to Toronto, uh, if you cross over into Pennsylvania, you, you can basically bring whatever you want. Actually, what's really funny is a lot of ten twenty twos are considered assault rifles in New York, which oh. is... They have like some weird law. If it has a pistol grip and a muzzle brake it is an assault rifle.
0: <laughs> yeah, appearance laws. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. It's just completely ridiculous. But obviously, as a foreigner, you want to be very careful crossing the border. You know, if you if you were for some reason caught with something illegal, they could probably um deny you entry. You know, after that. So I'm I'm always very careful crossing the border. Having that year long form, that's I didn't realize that. That's you could just I'm
0: about you know preemptively do your paperwork and you've just always yeah. good so oh we've got a match oh there's a match in a week we didn't realize cool we've already got the paperwork we can we
1: well can. A, a week for approval is cutting it pretty close because i had to wait close to to a month and a half for my approval oh, sorry <laughs> so you sorry to, yeah i more meant if you already had the form you can just um, oh yes yes okay yeah it. for sure
0: so br- what about bringing it back into canada and much issues there <laughs>
1: it's funny because i was going to mention this anyway bringing it back into canada is often more of a hassle than bringing it into the states and in my travels to the u.s i will say the americans i mean you know it's america they know how to handle guns yeah um so they they usually know what to look for and they'll clear you fairly efficiently coming back into canada our our border agents uh, oftentimes the only firearm experience they have is to qual- you know requalify with the handgun on their hip so they don't know anything about calibers or cartridges or you know what rifle is what and uh, we'll get pulled into customs and they 'll ask you you know a million different questions and i 'll tell you a funny story. We had an American come up to one of our matches and he was stopped at the border and he had uh, he was coming from from Pennsylvania and he had magazines with extensions on them and our border agents they have like this silly cheat sheet of firearms laws so they can you know inspect the rifle and they looked at his magazines and asked him well how many rounds does that hold and he's like you know it's a 15 round mag and i think it was a rimex and there's like oh you can't bring that into canada we have a you know 10 round capacity limit he's like i I compete with all these canadians all the time that have extensions on their (laughs) mags there must be some sort of you know exclusion And sure enough, after like, I don't know what it was, like 30 minutes or something, reading this little cheat sheet at the very bottom, you know, beside an asterisk, it says rimfire magazines do not have a capacity limit. Yeah. So then they look at him, it's like, was this a rimfire? He's like, yeah. (laughs) They asked to see the box of ammo, He, you know, shows them the box of Ely match, or I'm not sure what type of ammo it was, but let's just say it was Ely. They look at it and looking at the box, they say, it doesn't say rimfire on it anymore. Oh, God. (laughs) so he has to explain to them the difference between a rimfire and a centerfire cartridge and after like an hour and a half or something he was let through customs but it was it was brutal yeah i mean you can't expect all these people to know um everything about rifles right but um no but it's it's a little bit
0: uh yeah frustrating at times yeah yeah it is um obviously i've only traveled to Aussie and stuff never had any issues um they they go through everything Mm. but they're they're, uh I, i guess maybe they judge the person too and go yep he's obviously he's done all his paperwork he seems to know what he's talking about and, and you're yeah. obviously polite like you say you're a foreigner entering their country
1: be polite um and they seem to be pretty good but um yeah exactly i mean even if they don't um even if they're they're a little bit worried or and they want to check everything i always just let them do what they want right if, if you're not doing anything wrong you got nothing to worry about yeah exactly exactly so going into the us what's the level of
0: competition like there obviously you're not there's a freaking heap of states, right? But in the states you're
1: competing in, is the level of competition pretty high? Yeah, so the the PRS as a series divides the nation into nine or ten different uh, regions. Anyway, I'm in northeast region, which in terms of the number of shooters is quite competitive. It's, it's one of the more populated um, uh, regions. So I immediately noticed maybe the caliber of the top shooters is not any higher, but the the quantity of top shooters is much greater. So, you know, the level of competition definitely goes up. And you you have slightly different style matches. Even though we shoot PRS series matches up here in Canada as well, what I noticed is, again, generally speaking, the U.S. matches, first off, they're on established ranges whereas everything we shoot or most of the things we shoot in canada they're on private property like farms and, and whatnot so all the props have to be brought in by the match director which means they're generally a little bit wobbly you know either staked into the ground or just have you know some wob- wobbly stand holding mm-hmm. it up but the ones in the u.s are like buried 10 feet into the ground rock solid filled with concrete you're using conex containers and things that you know are very settled into the ground And I think because of that, they also use uh, generally smaller targets because the prop is so stable, your rifle doesn't move at all. And they're using smaller targets, but also closer targets because when we're shooting out on these farms that have, you know, almost infinite fields, we can put out a target at 450, you know, 400 yards. Um, But oftentimes the longest distance target you'll see at a rimfire match in the States is maybe just over 200, 250. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit of a different, uh, different style match, and the, but the group of shooters, I mean, they're very welcoming. Every time we've gone down with, um, with a large group of Canadians, they're very welcoming, and, and some of the clubs, uh, they go as far as uh, hanging a little Canada flag for us when we come down, which is greatly appreciated. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
0: It, it, it looks, uh, the idea of being out of just, um, well, obviously, we're in this. Freaking island at the bottom of the world, right? So we can't just <laughs> get our car and, and yeah, go to a yeah. But it would be being able to do that. It looks like great fun, man. And um, and also here you, you compete here, and you generally see the same guys. But if you if you're shooting into the US and and competing in different different areas, there you're going to meet new people, and um it's bloody great fun,
1: isn't it? So yeah, um, I will say too, like shooting all these different venues. I don't know if um a, a lot of the a lot of the shooters in the states will sort of shoot the same two or three clubs so they're just used to their own venues but since I I go to a dozen or more different venues a year it's it helps you be a little bit more of a a well rounded shooter for reading the wind and you know picking up on the small nuances of what to look for when you show up to a new environment. Are you shooting over these because they're established clubs
0: they should are they generally on a flat range or are they in hills or how's that work?
1: So the clubs that I'm closest to are basically in the Appalachian mountain range. So they're not too flat. They're, they're basically like on the side of a mountain. So it's actually pretty cool. You're shooting, you're shooting up or down and there's ravines and whatnot. It's pretty interesting. And where I am in Canada, I'm actually right on the border between two regions. The Northeast region is to the West and the new England region is actually to the East of that. So I can shoot in two different regions and, you know um shoot with two different communities of shooters within one year so it's actually really neat all the different clubs i can go to so
0: the iprf rimfire world champs are coming up at the end of this month actually so so pretty close and you've been selected to uh, represent canada which is pretty awesome um so several questions here how did they go about the selection process how did that take place
1: the selection process for the World Championships was actually a little bit rushed because I don't think I don't think we were actually we didn't decide to send shooters until it was quite late, like into the winter. So we didn't have any qualifying matches, and the board of directors for Capra, which is uh, what is it now for Canadian Precision Rifle Association, anyway, the board of directors for essentially the the body that chose. the the team to represent Canada is made up of, I I believe three MDT employees and some random uh, PRS guy out in Quebec. Yeah. And uh, they, they knew the, the PRS community quite well, I guess. And so they had to base their selection on the previous year's performance. So 2022. And, and they all asked everyone who was interested to submit a handful of matches for their consideration. So you know your best. I can't remember maybe five, six matches you're placing in them, and the practice score link. So I think there's definitely some quantitative, you know, evaluation that went into it. And then again, because we didn't have proper qualification matches, they they sort of just looked at uh, how many matches you shot, how well you did, your overall standings for the different series, and then if you seemed dedicated to the cause if that makes yep. any sense yep. so we we got together uh, a group of i believe there is uh, 12 12 shooters to represent canada in italy wow that's that's pretty cool man that's um yeah 12
0: that's good so <clears throat> obviously this is i'm assuming one of the bigger matches you would have been to and, and definitely the, it's the first world champs for fire so what what kind of training are you doing to get ready is it more matches is it like Drills on paper. Um, Mm -hmm. What are you you doing to to sharpen up? Not that you're not already sharp, but how how are you getting ready?
1: Well, I'm always continuously trying to improve. Like, There's always room for improvement in any aspect of my shooting uh, skills. So I'm always working towards improving the next thing. But uh, I'm not as lucky as some of the guys that live out in... Uh, areas where you can just, you know, eat dinner and then shoot off your back porch. <laughs> I'm I'm in the suburbs, yeah. so if I were to discharge a firearm uh, on my property, I would be quickly taken into jail. <laughs> uh, so I I don't have the the same sort of uh, access to unlimited practice sessions. And my home range is unfortunately quite busy. Uh, you know, I, I often can't shoot off props there unless it's it's booked off for an event. So I do a lot of dry fire. Um, i have one of those uh the little lenses that go in front of your scope so it can it can focus down to you know 12 feet or whatever and i do i try and dry fire um at least a couple times a week i would say in the off season in the winter i'm dry firing much more but when i'm in sort of match mode for the couple months in the summer i'm shooting enough matches where i don't feel like uh, my skills are degrading between each one especially if they're you know back-to-back weekends uh, but if i want to work on certain aspects of my shooting like getting into certain positions or finding the most efficient way to move my rifle you know from prop to prop i'll I'll do that based on dry fire practice
0: yeah yeah that's that's probably something i do not nearly enough of is, is dry fire um and to be honest I,
1: I don't really enjoy dry fire i i do it more as a necessity because i know if i let my my skills you know erode too much i'm going to quickly find myself uh you know out of the top 10 so i have to do it
0: yeah oh hey you gotta do it you gotta do especially in the build-up yeah. to such a such a big event so yeah i've noticed recently you've um and this ties into it you've you're swapping between the mdt um the new um uh, the elite and also the krg um, yes.
1: What one are you taking to Italy? So the MDT ACC will be uh, the chassis of choice for this world championship. Uh, that's not to say I don't like the C4. I absolutely love the C4 and it's not going anywhere. I, I can't tell you, man. <laughs> I got completely flooded with messages when i showed the new acc like everyone's like oh what happened to the krg like oh you betrayed krg like yeah no i did it uh I, but there's a few reasons for that the the main reason was the the krg is a monolithic piece of aluminum like from the very tip to the very buttstock it's just one piece you can't fold it can't take off the buttstock and originally i wanted to bring a small rifle case to italy because um i wasn't sure what kind of car we were going to rent and we're traveling with uh, another small group of shooters so you know folding down seats and stuff just didn't seem practical so i wanted to fit it in a very small pelican case and i was measuring all the different chassis and stuff and the acc if i got a folding buttstock for it or if i just removed the buttstock using that that screw that attaches onto it uh, i could fit it into this small gun case so that was originally the reason why i decided to uh, to try it uh, unfortunately, because I went with a honking twenty-five inch barrel on my rimfire, uh, it still doesn't quite fit in the case with enough <laughs> in, enough leeway where you know there's there's like a quarter inch between my scope and the edge of the case, so I didn't really want to risk it getting damaged or anything. Um, so, but but another uh, reason is I can balance that rifle in the ACC with less weight because the KRG is much more butt-heavy. So to get it, you know, all balanced out, it's uh, Like I mentioned before almost 25 pounds, but I can get the ACC elite quite balanced at around 20 to 21 pounds Uh, and yeah, so you know anything helps I I actually just finished cutting out the foam and Packing my uh, rifle case in the manner that I'm gonna bring it to Italy. I put it on the luggage scale. It's at 40 47 48 pounds so i'm like right on the 50 pound limit for the um the the, the airline perfect <laughs> so, yeah exactly <laughs> uh, we've talked about paperwork a couple of times already
0: but um <clears throat> i understand there's some funny stuff you're allowed so many rounds into italy but is the paperwork just <laughs> a similar kind of thing you just have to obviously to export out of canada and import in italy and vice versa but not too much yeah
1: German. so italy is actually quite easy the only thing you need uh, again, I'm not a lawyer, so <laughs> do your own research. But what the Canadian team was told was the only thing you need for Italy is the invitation from the um, IPRF. Oh, wow, so that sort of acts as your like import documentation, if you will. So that part was really easy. The difficult part, again, as you can probably imagine, was the Canadian paperwork to have a temporary export license. Um, so the u s, because of the ATF form, it's exempt from this export thing um, but since we're going obviously to Italy we had to fill out this temporary export license and that was a big headache <laughs> to uh to get approved but it's done and it's good for uh I believe a couple months anyway so I I did it back in uh in early June just to make sure it was ready
0: yeah smart yeah, yeah. That, man that's gonna be an awesome trip like um yeah I'm quite jealous actually so again we're not um i think we may be in the future possibly but uh, we're not currently affiliated with the iprf in any way here in new zealand um i i, I definitely see the advantages of it though um being that it's mm-hmm. it's it's not so much a direct um <clears throat> this is what you have to do in your match but it's a way of um getting people to these world championship events and such because um, man I, like i if, if we had got our ass in the gear earlier i'd love to go to italy that'd be just yeah um, i've been there before just on a holiday i'm um, not no shooting but um
1: man to go there and compete would just be a real buzz yeah but, it's really cool i've never actually been there actually i've never been anywhere in europe except for just like in the airport for waiting for a layover flight so this is gonna be my first time and i'm, I'm relying on my my wife to bring me to all the cool spots because she's been before have um Are you going to
0: stay for a little bit extra or just go for the the shooting, the match essentially?
1: We're going to, yeah, we're going to definitely stay a little bit extra, but of course, traveling with firearms, it kind of changes the way you plan for certain things. You have to keep it in, you know, certain areas and stuff. So we're going to, we're going to limit our, um, our experience to probably just the, uh, the Rome area. Oh, and that's also because uh, when you're, when you're flying into Italy with a firearm, there's a rule where you have to fly into Rome. So that's where we're going to check out.
0: Okay. So yeah. I mentioned earlier, and this just listens to some of the uh the English guys talking about it. I believe you're only allowed to bring in 200 rounds of ammunition. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. So I was um I was a little bit frustrated because it seems like the IPRF, and not to speak poorly of them, they're putting a huge amount of effort into this match. Uh, but I feel like they may have chosen the location before they did all the research Mm -hmm. um, because everyone knows obviously especially with rimfire a lot testing and finding you know the lot of ammo that your rifle likes is quite important to to many rimfire shooters and to have a 20 stage match which presumably is close to 200 rounds uh, (laughs) and only allow 200 rounds into the country there's a little bit of a, a problem there and so to get to get around this, they are going to be selling select brands of rimfire ammunition there. Um, but for example, if you're an Ely shooter, you're a bit out of luck because they're not offering Ely to purchase there. And obviously, whether or not the lot of ammo um, agrees with your rifle is a little bit up in the air. Yeah, now, yeah. I, I personally, for PRS, I don't think it's as crucial as like bench rest, Agreed. Um, yep. you know, in terms of lot testing. But Of course, there's a lot of shooters that are very opinionated about their their lots that they will shoot. (laughs) And when you think about, um, you know, the, the event, the World Championship, it's a week long. And you have, I believe, three days. The actual competition is three days. But prior to that, you have three days of train up and zeroing. You don't have to shoot the whole time, but, you know, the range is open for that. But if you only allow bringing 200 rounds of ammo you're not shooting very much before the competition days
0: what yeah i mean uh, I, i'm assuming the ammo that will be available there outside looking in, i'm assuming they've gone to, to lapua and they've gone to ruag for like uh, rws ammo yes and i'm assuming exactly, those yeah. big
1: companies are, are supplying like a freaking heap of it um i i would hope so because yeah. i know shooters who are, are banking on uh purchasing the
0: ammo yeah so in, if, in the match yeah so ideally like you might be able to go over there and like hey i'm just gonna buy like a bunch of uh, rws r50 or special match or lapua or whatever your chambers cut for and then yeah it, it's shit this works pretty good like you know <laughs> and and and, 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 <laughs> and and you might be able to i'm assuming you'd be able to buy a thousand rounds or something um yeah and so hopefully at least at least it sounds like the ammunition that's going to be available is, is top of the line um,
1: it it is but i will say a lot of guys here uh, both americans and canadians we shoot ely and ely is not one of the offerings so a lot of guys are now purchasing some Lapua and rws just to test to see if their rifle can function i mean obviously any custom rifle is going to shoot pretty darn good but you know just to you don't want to travel across the world and and not know exactly how your rifle is going to perform so i have a guy i have a buddy just today went to the range to test rws and his rifle for the first time just because that's what he plans to run for the uh the match yeah yeah
0: that that's um here in uh, new zealand that's uh probably one of the more popular premier it's a premier top of the line sort of 22 ammos that's used would be oh, RWS. Yeah? Oh, it's used it's been an availability thing over the last several years of weirdness you know mm-hmm. um yeah yeah exactly be, that's good yeah and um and yeah, R- R- rws
1: I'm R- oh, sorry. sorry i was just gonna say rws here is is really not quite a, you can find it but it's really not quite as common it's completely dominated by lapua sk and ely yeah i don't think we've seen any lapua in over two years wow that's
0: that's crazy yeah oh we're just we're at the bottom of the world, man. Uh, <laughs> we're we're, we're like generally of, of the Western yeah. sort of style nations with lowest priority, it seems. Um, right. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, um, and also the importer has changed several times in that mm. th- as well. So it's always a bit of a bit of an up and down. Hey, hey listen, thanks so much um, for coming on, man. This has been a real treat. Um,
1: yeah, it was just, awesome. You
0: know, I've been a fan of yours for a while, so this was really cool to actually talk to you. And, and, I, and I love room fire, so it's pretty cool to. Um, <laughs> normally we'll stray off into centerfire and stuff, but this has been it's just rimfire it's just competition this has been great yeah and um yeah we wish you the best of luck uh, at the end of the month in italy and I, I'm, yeah. I'm sure thank you'll you have, very much i'm sure you'll have if anything you'll have a great time um and um, i'm sure you'll do canada proud um no doubt in the future um people will be wanting you to talk about the, the the italian thing but if we get a chance in the next several months i might and you get a spot i might ask you to maybe come on to a short episode just talk about italy um, but again i know you're going to be real busy but um yeah i think we yeah. can we could probably wrap this up about here that's just on an hour sounds good
1: yeah uh no thanks for having me on i'll uh i'll definitely hit you up after italy sometime when i come back it's all the regional finales and nationals and stuff but come october uh maybe we can do this again it was great it was a great chat graham yeah no I, hey listen i really appreciate it man and um Yeah, best of
0: luck. So, anyway, thanks everyone for listening uh, to another uh, Precision Unloaded podcast,
1: and we will talk to you all again soon.